Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 52 of the Best Thing Podcast. And I have an extremely special episode for you. But before I tell you about this episode, I want you to know that right now you can pre-order Stop Living on Autopilot, my book. And when you pre-order, you get access to some amazing bonuses. So go to the show notes, click on pre-order, and you will see some amazing bonuses that you can get once you pre-order the book. Also, if you're like, hey, I don't know if I want to buy your book, Stop Living on Autopilot or not. First, you're wrong. But second, if you need some encouragement, you can actually get access to the very first chapter of the book. That link is also in the show notes. If you're more of an audiobook kind of person, guess what? You can preview what the audiobook sounds like. Don't hesitate. Go to the show notes, pre-order the book, read chapter one now, listen to a preview of the audiobook. You will be good to go. Now, speaking of my book, Stop Living on Autopilot, this episode is special because I talked to my dear friend, Bassam Tarazi, who you may recall from an earlier episode of The Best Thing. And we go behind the scenes of the making of Stop Living on Autopilot. All those things that I normally don't share publicly, I share in this episode. We go deep. So I think you are going to love it. So without further ado, let's get to episode 52 of the best thing. Welcome to the best thing podcast, where we talk to thought leaders, creatives, authors, and entrepreneurs about how sometimes the best thing to happen to you is the most unexpected. Welcome your host, Antonio Neves. Hey, hey, what's up, y'all? It's Antonio Neves. I am the author of Stop Living on Autopilot. I am a speaker and I am a coach and Right now, what we're about to do is something extremely unique. We're about to go behind the scenes of my book, Stop Living on Autopilot, Take Responsibility for Your Life and Rediscover a Bolder, Happier You. I know, one of the longest subtitles in the history of mankind, and it's okay. So to talk about this book, I'm doing something unique. I'm going to be interviewed by my dear friend, Bassam Tarazi. If you recall, uh, in an earlier episode of The Best Thing, Bassam was on. That's one of our most popular episodes. So go back and listen to that if you haven't already. But I picked Bassam to interview me because A, I've known this dude for a variety of years and Bassam knows me. I I can't BS with Bassam. He always holds me accountable. He makes me keep it real. But also he just has a unique perspective on life. Go into the show notes to learn more about Bassam. But what I want you to know about Bassam is that he's an author He's an adventurer. Guy has been to over 70 plus countries, has visited seven continents. His book, Borders, Bandits, and Baby Whites, is exceptional. As you can see, what I'm doing right now is stalling from this conversation. So let's get into a Bassam and talk about this book, Stop Living on Autopilot. Well, thanks for a thanks for having me and for giving me the keys to the car uh, here on the podcast. Obviously, a big fan was interviewed early on, but, but I've been a, a big fan, uh, through and through. So, uh, let me just hop right in questions that I think, you know, I have and have had along the way, and I'm sure your readers, uh, and listeners might have as well. Um, so right off the bat, you know, they say writing a book, you actually write four books while writing a book. There's the book proposal, there's the actual book, there's the edits, and then there's the marketing of the book. So I was just curious in your journey in, you know, as you created this book, what's kind of changed or what, what's, what, what's been 
different motivational shifts through that whole entire process. I think as an author, you'll appreciate this. I think the first phase is when you get the book deal, when you're working on that proposal is you, you want a book deal. It's not even about the book so much. You're like, I just want a book deal. Hey, everybody, look, I have a deal with a major publishing house. So that was first and foremost. But then as I got into writing the book early on, if I look at the proposal now and I look at the finished book, frankly, I didn't think I was going to get get as personal as I did. I didn't think I was going to reveal as as much in this book. Uh, the truth is, as I go through the book, a lot of the lessons, the, the personal development lessons, the self-help lessons, the truth is they could stand alone by themselves. However, I knew that I needed to share, frankly, some some real stuff from my life to add some concrete value to them. So that that's what's unique. Lastly, the whole marketing and then the selling of the book, that, that's really, frankly, the most challenging part right now because you finish this book, this labor of love, it's like a fist fight. And then you're like, I'm done, but you're not done. <laughs> you're actually just beginning when the book's about to come out. So on that note, you know, there's a, there's a chapter in your book titled, What Do You Want? Has what Antonio wanted out of this book changed on this journey from when you first, because I don't know if people know this, but when you first wrote your book proposal, it didn't look like it did now, right? Oh, it was man. a fictional business story. People have no, yo, I have this whole book sitting on my hard drive. I have it printed up in in a cabinet. I wrote this whole leadership fable. Uh, I think it's actually pretty good. One day it might get, it might get published, (laughs) but it it wasn't the book that I'm writing today. It was, and so it's amazing just to get to what it is today. It was so many different iterations and what it has come out to today, frankly, has has shocked me. Uh, I'm a, I feel a bit vulnerable, Basam, as the world's about to get its hands on this and view this. And not even just the world, because who knows how many people will read this book, but people who know me, people who intimately know me, you know, that, that, that fear of judgment. Uh, what are they going to think about this guy? Because I, in the book, I, as you know, I talk about the story that Google tells you about someone mm-hmm. and the real story. And you and I, our phone calls, we always talk about the real story. And one of the funniest things you and I always do in our conversations, if, if we had a dollar for every time we said, oh man, we should say this on a podcast. Oh, we should, we should say this in a book. We should, we should tweet this. We would be rich people. And I think I did a pretty good job of not playing it safe and, and keeping it 100, as they say. And it might make some people uncomfortable, some things in the book. And before we actually dive flat out into the book, something you said in that last answer kind of reminded me, and I want to remind your listeners that it's going to look, when you get Antonio's book like this, he had this idea in his head from the jump. Here's how he started his book proposal. This is what it came out. Leaping into the unknown and removing autopilot from your life is really that. It's just a leap into uncertainty. You don't necessarily know where you're going to go, but it's trusting that first step. Would you agree with that? I would agree 100%, man. Uh, I wasn't, I, I could have wrote a book on autopilot that was clean, that was polished, that was manicured. Look at this guy with his life together, et cetera. And it would have been just straight up false. Mm-hmm. If you look at the proposal, the sample chapter that was in the proposal, you look at the first draft that I submitted to the second draft to the, I mean, oh my goodness, it just changed so much. And in the process I changed as well. And something magic, magical happens when you sit down every single day and you, you start with that empty screen or you're editing something and you know you end up building your own momentum, as I like to say, just showing up every single day. But at the same time, man, there are moments when you're writing, especially when you get 
truth, tr- closer to the truth, if you will, that you're like, you know, you, you feel a little bit, I felt frankly hesitant in times with things that I, that I typed. What's my mom going to think about this? What's my wife going to think about this? Are my, my clients going to still hire me when they learn this stuff about me? And to be clear, this isn't like I was like, you know, in some foreign country in jail doing like uh, ridiculous drugs. It's, it's nothing like that, but it's still very vulnerable and, and different from where it started. And on that note, was there, I guess, you know, look, I know you, you're a private guy. Um, was there something that kind of clicked on your journey from like original book proposal as you kept leaning in? Was it feedback from an agent? Was it something where you said, man, I need to get a little more raw here? Like how, how did you unearth that kind of raw Antonio, that scared Antonio, meaning scared to share? Like, wh- where did that come from? Well, it reminds me of a conversation you and I had uh, when, early on when you were working on your book and you showed me an early draft of your book. And I told you, yo, this is good and it could be better. Like you could do something special with this and you were willing to make a big investment and, and pay an editor to help you. So I think getting good friction from people, getting feedback from people, holding me accountable made a really, really big difference. Cause like, you know, if somebody reads something like, come on, man, what you doing? You just, you just only sharing the top layer right there, but also real talk, but some, I don't know. And I'm going to get this opportunity again, uh, with a book, a book deal like this. And my, the last thing I would want to do is like have this opportunity with, with the book published with the major publishing house to phone it in, to go on autopilot, to fake the funk, I mean, odds are I'm going to be on stages for three years talking about this. And you know me, it's hard for me to fake it for too long. Uh, and if I was wrote something that was just more contrived and more perfect, uh, it would it would lead to some challenges. It would lead to some headbutting with myself. So uh, I, I reached the age, I think, with these gray hairs on my chin that there we go. I, I stopped caring as much as I as I once did about others and their perception of me. You know, I like that. It's not only are you writing a book and sharing it with the world, getting it off your chest. It's also, I want to call it a scar in a bad way, but it's something that, like you said, you're going to be on stage as long after this book has been published and you're going to be speaking truths from the book. And so you're kind of like, look, I better make sure this is actually part of me, not just some some cookie cutter um, lesson that you get tired of repeating. And also, lastly, I have kids now. I mean, they're toddlers now. Uh, but there's a possibility that one day this book is going to be in bookstores and, and libraries for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. And long after I'm gone, I hope when my kids pick this book up, God willing, I have grandkids, they, they, they see an authentic, not perfect, obviously, but an authentic dad, authentic granddad, et cetera, uh, that hopefully they can they can be proud of. Yeah, I, I, I would think they will be. I think anyone, I think a lesson I've learned in life, and I'm sure you have, is, you know, this idea that you know, each of us leads through vulnerability. I think we are told that we need to have this perfect form and everything's perfect, perfect, perfect. But really, who are our heroes? Who are What are the stories we are drawn most to? It's um, somebody admitting their faults um, and their vulnerability. Just a quick, a, a quick tangent on that. So you've, writing books is not foreign to you. You've self-published a handful of books so far in your life. But this was different. This was, you know, a bigger publisher. You know, you reached out, agent. It was, it was a bigger reach. How did you handle that whole? Well, I've self-published before, and I was able to 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 share my words out there with this idea of, man, I want to be published by a name. What, what does that validation do? Uh, does it help? You know, is it a curse? You know, what what were your emotions uh, with that? 
Well, you're right. I've self-published three different books. And if you went to Amazon.com right now and look at those three books that I've published, you would assume that only 18 people in total have read those books. What people don't know is it was really strategic to write those books and self-publish them. I've I've sold a lot of books that people don't know about, you know, the you know, books at conferences, books at events, etc. It's not like the Amazon books, it's like etc. Uh how, how you sell them in bulk, if you will. Uh, and I could have kept doing that, making money like that, paying rent, paying bills like that. I can't front the same way this kid moved to New York City in 2000 with less than $1,000 in his bank account, who was seeking validation in the television industry, getting jobs with the NBCs and Nickelodeons and the BETs of the world. There's always been something inside of me as well. I think everyone always says they want to to write a book, right? I think most people just want a book published and their name on the book. Uh, but it was a goal. Uh, I can't front. It was something that I wanted to check off the list to say the kid, as I always, refer, as I refer to myself in third person, when you, when you and I talk to each other, it was a goal, man. It's just like to say, hey, I got a college degree. You check it off the list. You get a graduate degree. You check it off the list. Maybe you move to a certain city. You visit a certain country, a uh, bucket list kind of thing. I've, you know, wanted to say I had a book published by a major publishing house. Um, I think for a long time, it was for maybe, I don't want to call it the wrong reasons, but yes, it was for validation purposes. Uh, it does make a difference in the speaking industry uh, with a lot of clients, frankly, how much your check will be if you are have a book that's published by a major publishing house versus say one being that, that self-published. It does make a tangible difference in with how people look at you right or wrong. There are some amazing self-published books. You have, you have a couple, so do I. And it was... A goal. What, I guess the question I have to answer, ask myself right now that you didn't ask is, would I have done this work if I didn't have this deal, if I didn't get that mm -hmm. advance? And the question is, I don't think so, to be honest with you. I, I don't think I would have wrote this book on my own without me getting the, the book deal. And I want to say to you and everyone else, and that's okay. Right. I think there's this I think there's this illusion that everything needs to be this intrinsic motivation. Right. You just do what makes you happy and what brings you joy. And I think, no, extrinsic motivation is part of the game. Even proving to yourself that you can do it is technically extrinsic. Right. Because it's this you're otherizing yourself um, in thinking about that. How do you um, answer the question or, you know, when people tell you um, how can you argue the difference between something that's meaningful because Antonio really wanted to write this book and joyful uh, and how they can be different. I'm sure in this process, this, this whole process of writing a book wasn't always joyful. And I might say, wasn't always the majority of time joyful. So how do you wrestle something that's meaningful to you and something that brings you joy? Yeah, that's a funny question, but you know, I want to rewind just briefly and say, and maybe you've experienced this as well. I will say that I don't think this book would have been possible, Bassam, if I didn't self-publish the other three books first. Mm. Like that did something. There was no no one giving me money. It was me investing my own dollars and cents. And that taught me some belief that built up confidence. I sold books with nobody else endorsing me. So I got to say, me doing that work first, I think made it easier for me to say, hey, I want to go this way with a publisher. I wasn't waiting like a lot of people are waiting right. for that big deal. To add on that, I like the term, I, uh, you created an identity goal. It's this idea of before you can get a book deal, you have to become the kind of person who could get a book deal, right? And the kind of person who can get a book deal is someone who can write, who could put words together, who could put arguments together, beginning, middle, end, ship something, right? And so that confidence you built with yourself wasn't 
can Antonio write a book? No, he knew he could, right? Now it's, can he do all that other messy work with the proposal and the marketing and the editing and other people's hands in the book? Um, so that's a really good lesson that, that the leap we sometimes think we want to take is too big, you know, and, th- and that's what's keeping us um, from, from reaching it. We just got to start small. Yeah, we could go deep on that subject right there. But the difference, as you mentioned earlier, between meaningful and joyful, uh, you know, I think people think that when they're, they, they decide to do meaningful work or they're, they decide to pursue their passion, you know, a word that you and I aren't the most, <laughs> that we wouldn't say that we love. Uh, they think that all of a sudden, like rainbows are going to pop up and everyone's going to pat them on their back and say, oh, good job. We're proud of you, et cetera. And I can tell you right now, over the course of the time that I wrote this book in libraries, on planes, in hotels, at home, the vast majority of the time, it was not joyful. I was not sitting there smiling and like, oh my God, look at this. This is amazing. I wasn't mad at myself. Don't get me wrong. Like I wasn't, no one had to force me to go to the library. It wasn't a chore, but I can't tell you that uh, you know, it felt like I was eating like rainbow colored, you know, Skittles all the time and everything was cool. If anything, if anything, nine times out of 10, Basam, it felt like I was working a shift. It was like I was going into a factory. Like I knew the hours that I was going to work. Okay, I'm going to be at the library on UCLA's campus from 8 a.m. to 12. That probably means I got a good four 45 minute sessions. Right. And I get the, and then that gives me a 15 minute break to drink some water, mess around, get on my phone or whatever. But most of the time, it felt like a shift. Editing the book felt like a shift. Yes, there are moments when I'd read something that I wrote the next day or I get some feedback and I'm like, oh, this is okay. I'm on to something. This is, this is pretty good. But bro, no, it felt like a shift. (laughs) It's a, a funny shift that you basically, put on yourself, right? Those moments where you look up, you're like, why, why am I doing It's like, oh, I decided to do this, right? This is the thing I wanted to chase. And again, I think we, we conflate this idea of I want to chase my dreams to mean these dreams are going to be joyful the whole time, right? It's going to be water park fun. Like, no, it's grit. There is grit in there. There's grit in there. There's resilience in there. Like you said, the water park fun was is very, very fleeting. It's very, very rare. And those are times I question myself too, Basam, because I know I'm a personal development guy. I love to get on stages and fire people up. I'm also kind of dark at times. Like I wonder like is something wrong with me because I don't have those water park feelings more often. Uh, am I, am I, like when I look at other people, what they share on social media, I'm more, I'm, I don't call myself cynical, but I definitely question things. A lot of times I'm like, you're full of it. Like (laughs) you're not telling the truth right now, social media person. Um, uh, But yeah, it was a shift. And the truth is, Bassam, look, that's where the magic happens. Most, the reason why most people who say they want to write a book don't is because they're unwilling to work a shift. Yeah. I mean, they want to walk into a room and have people clap. They want to have (laughs) written a book. They don't want to write because write is hard. They want to have written. They like the past tense. Two different things whatsoever. <laughs> Two, totally yeah. different things. Yeah. Um, let's, let's uh, speaking of shift, let's shift uh, gears here. You know, there's, there's a lesson or a theme that you have in your podcast and it comes up in the book that I want to put my skeptics hat on. I want to put my, I don't know this guy, but I saw his book and I want to challenge him on something. And it's this idea that the best thing in life hasn't happened to you yet. 
and my skeptic hat I put on that says, well, how does he know? Ooh, that's, that, that's a good question. Well, first and foremost, I'll say I know that because I've had multiple times over the course of my life where I thought the best was in my past and I found out that wasn't the case. Graduating from college, um, getting fired from a job, a big high profile job at Nickelodeon, leaving the television industry behind in New York City and moving to L.A. to do some work in the leadership and development field, past relationships coming to an end. Etc. And this is where, you know, even I, I, I push my own back up against the wall on it with this whole best thing I did, because I really do. And I think a lot of people may call me naive on this. Believe that if we wake up every single day, uh, that if we put our feet on the ground, that the best thing absolutely can be in front of us. It really does decide. Um, it really is based on the, how we de- decide what the best thing is. The best thing for people is going to be different. It just pains me, Basan, because I travel across the country when I, you know during normal times and I speak to so many folks. And when people are talking about the best thing to happen to them, it's always past tense. College, best years of my life. Getting married, best years of my life. Having kids, best years of my life. Buying our home, best honeymoon, best trip of my life. And it just makes me think, well, what have you been doing since then? Like, why is the best thing always going to be past tense? And I think at some point, I don't know if we've been trained or if society told us that the best is in our past that we, we stopped living. Um, I mentioned early in the book that I believe a tombstone can have three dates. The date that we're born, the date that we give up, and the date that we die. And I think there can be a long gap between the date that we give up and the date that we die. So I'm here. So I, when I wake up every single day, I, I want to believe that I can be a better dad than I was yesterday. I want to believe that I can be a better husband than I was yesterday. I want to believe I can be a better person. I can be a better writer on and on and on. I think what people tend to neglect in their professions and beyond is that technically, technically today we are smarter than we've ever been before in our life, right? We have, we've collected more data than ever before. We are more equipped, but you, you would swear that that's not the case. I mean, we should be going into work, killing it. Like, you know so much more now than before. Yet here you are still complaining about Bob, right? right? Come on. Why you, right. Come on. You know, you could, what's, why are you wasting your time complaining about Bob? So I just really believe that if we wake up and believe that the best is ahead, not just believe, Basam, but also work and have those habits to ensure the best is ahead, uh, it is ahead of us. And I think what Antonio's saying for everybody listening here is not just, right? I mean, we can we can take this as the best thing to happen to me, right? These external forces, this, oh, what is the world gonna gonna place on me? And I think what Antonio is saying is it's about how we show up in this world and not just for the accolades to land on us. Ooh, I got that job, I got that raise, look at all these things happen to me, but how we show up, right? How we show up on on the day to day. And I, I think at the end of the day, your book is really talking about accountability, right? And that your life, no matter what you want out of it, is up to you because no one cares more about it than you do. Um, I know you and I have talked about this before, but that idea of that nobody cares more about it than you and accountability is a really strong kind of force and a, and a grounding presence in your life. Um, can you talk about that for Absolutely. Accountability is a word that you know because you wrote a book about the subject. Nobody wants to talk about accountability. It's like, it's like, like, and this book is, here's what's unique about this book, I think, compared to other personal development books and self-development books. 
my book is more of a it's not it's not it's not another pat on the back. I think a lot of works in the personal development field are, are pats on the back. It's okay. You're doing good. You're great just as you are. And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> yes, you're great. And there are some things you're, you're not doing. I didn't want to give people another pat on the back. If anything, I wanted to give them a slight hit to the esophagus to, to wake them up a little bit, to let, let, let make them aware of what is and what isn't going on. And as you know, I feel like in society nowadays, especially now, so much time is spent with our finger pointing outwards. Like we're, we're blaming everyone else. We're blaming our boss. We're blaming politicians. We're blaming society. We're blaming our family. We're blaming our spouse. We're blaming our kids. But very rarely are we pointing the finger at ourselves and asking, what role have I played in this? I know that everything's not perfect. Everything's not fair. And what role have I played in this? And how can I show up a little bit differently? I asked this question in the book that is fun. It's a fun question, but it really gets to accountability. And it says something to the extent of if you know your life was a movie, what would the lead character start doing to turn things around, like to make things better? But people don't like answering that question because guess what? They have to do something. But guess what? In a movie, that protagonist, that lead character, he or she does something to spark change. Right. And most times, whatever they do, it's not easy. And I just want to keep in this book, I give some tough love in this book because I wanted to keep it real with people. It's going to make some people uneasy because I'm tired Basam, of things not working out for somebody and their friends and family say things like, oh, well, you know what? Well, maybe it just wasn't meant to be. Mm -hmm. And you know, me and you were like, well, was it not meant to be or <laughs> did you give up? Right. <laughs> did you stop working? Did you not put the effort forward? No one asked that second question. And then people in this, you know, personal development world that I, that I love and hate sometimes, we also hear things that sound like, ah, oh, don't worry, it's never too late. And I'm like, actually, uh, it's never too late, but the longer you wait, the harder it's going to get. And so I don't think people get enough of that, that good friction. I'm all for pats on the back. And if there's anything that I think my community has provided me with, something you've always provided me with, yes, you provide me with love. You provide me with encouragement as a friend. And you've always been honest with me. And that's what I want to do with this book. And I think that's what we owe one another. And as you know, that's another conversation, but there's a way you can go about being honest with someone and you can take certain tact and et cetera. But that, that's when it comes to accountability, we have to be honest with ourselves and hopefully we can be honest with, with others as well. No, uh, a amen to that. I think, um, you know, one thing I want to pull out of your answer there, because I think there's the risk of people hearing this or reading the book that think that that success is all is always about doing more, right? That you have to put more on your plate and put more and do more and do more and do more. And I think what you're getting at and what, what I think the book also talks about is that in this society we live in, there's always a pressure to do, right? It's do and more work, more hours, burn the midnight oil. You, you'll sleep when you're dead, da, 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 all that stuff. And I kind of want to go to bat for the people who want to intentionally slow down. And I think your book is still for that person too, because what they've done is they've allowed their boss and maybe their family and everyone else to kind of uh, prioritize life for them. And maybe they don't want that, right? And that's also taking life off autopilot, right? Life can be on autopilot and you can be completely drained and maybe say, well, wait a second, I want to take the wheel here. I don't want to do this extra project. I don't want to do this other thing. I have a say in this. Is that fair? Is that fair to say? Oh, people realizing they have a say in this. What you're also talking about, Basam, is something a lot of people are unwilling to do, and that's being unwilling, uh, unwilling to stand for something. Mm. 
unwilling to say no, unwilling to set boundaries because of what this person's going to say, what that person's going to do, et cetera. Uh, I agree with you 100%. I think we all are trying to do far too much. Uh, I talk a lot about, you know, looking at your life as a computer operating system and what happens if you have a lot of applications running at the exact same time. It leads to slower processing speed. Worst case scenario, it can lead to a crash. I think that's happening to a lot of people right now. They're keeping so so many options open. A question I ask in the book, Sam, is what is keeping all of your options open costing you? Right. Right. There's somebody right now who's single <laughs> because they've been trying to keep all their options open, trying to find the perfect that's right. person. Right. Uh, so I think about it like that as well. So I, I'm a I'm a major proponent of doing less. But what you what you just hit on is being willing to stand for something and even have people disagree with you. Right. Right. And I think the the next kind of question that I want to ask for Antonio specifically, and I think it's a very difficult question. I struggle with this as well is. How do you know when you've done enough on a day, in a session, on a month or a week, right? Because if the mindset's always more, we're, we're doomed. And I think we are, we have been trained, especially in America, to do more. So how does Antonio know he's done enough on a daily basis? That's a really, really challenging question. I, it makes me think back to my, my track and field days. I, you know, I, ran, I was a track and field athlete all the way through college. And I know you've been an athlete in your life as well, but Simon, for people who are athletes, they'll appreciate this. But one thing uh, my coach has always told us, especially with sprints, is to run through the finish line. Mm. Like I think typically you you run this big, long race, whether it's 800 meters or 400 meters, 100 meters, even a mile. But something funny happens. You run this race and then people ease up the last 10 Mm. to 5 meters and we've all been privy of watching <laughs> those races on TV when somebody eases up at the end and they get yep. passed by by someone else. So I think we all have to determine what our finish line is. Got it. The challenge in society nowadays, Basam, is that, you know, society will tell you what your finish line is at work. Then when does this project do? What are the expectations, et cetera? But a lot of times we don't have that for ourselves. What does knowing I wrote enough this week towards finishing that screenplay look like? What does writing enough this week towards finishing that novel look like? We can break that down, what it looks like over the course of the year. You talk a lot about how to finish things when it comes to um, your, your courses that you have available for people. But I really do think it's intrinsic uh, when we know if we've, if we've done it or not. Like, put it this way. I'm, I'm going to give a couple of examples. I know I'm meandering, but the difference between working out by yourself and working out with a trainer. You can go to the gym for the exact same amount of time and you know the difference between doing something by yourself and doing something with a trainer. Uh, And I think another way to think about this is, Basam, I don't know about you, but internally, sometimes if I'm not giving my all in in something that that I say is important to me, sometimes I don't feel like I earn my sleep. Mm. Like I'll, I'll toss and turn at night sometimes because I'll feel this kind of tap on my shoulder, if you will, saying, you know, you've been saying this is important, but you really haven't been giving anything to it or giving your all to it. So I can feel it internally. I know the answer for everyone is going to be different. But if you do have some things you can check off of your list every single day, that can make a big difference. Yeah, I agree. I've been I've been trying to simplify. We're working on a new course right now trying to simplify for people that even like 60 minutes a day for five days a week, it doesn't sound like a lot, right? Even 30 minutes a day, five days a week. It is amazing what two and a half to five hours can do. And I really like the analogy of 
know the race you're running because the person who runs the person who runs a 400 meter doesn't look at the person who runs a 200 meter and think that person does half the amount of work as I do, right? They think no. They trained for that race, they did that race well. So I think what you're saying is understand the race you're running and run through that tape. Yeah, and I think what you hit on right there and this is a different subject, but I think it's really important for people listening is what we're really talking about is habits. Yeah. As well. Like people re- don't realize if they only read 10 pages of a book a day, like people always have these these random goals. I know you hate goals, uh, but people have these random goals. Oh, read more books. What does that mean? Yeah. What does that mean? But but read 10 pages a day is very specific. Um, right. Write for 30 minutes a day. Work out. Go for a walk for 15 minutes a day. Call one friend a day. Those are things that you can check off of a list that are specific. And you know if you can increase those numbers, decrease, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. I like to say it's like you get to the lowest common denominator verb, right? What verb do you have to dig down to to own, right? To get a book published or to write a book that a publisher wants, there's a zillion verbs in there. But for you to sit down and write, that's up to you. Um, one big question that's in your book, and I think, I, again, I'm someone who who still struggles with this at the age of 40, is what do I want and how do I know what I want? Um, you know, it's a big question. It's a big question in the book, right? That that you ask of us in the book. Um, but our wants and our wants and needs change in life. So, how do you, Antonio, or how does one incorporate change when figuring out what they want in life? Because the twenty-one-year-old Antonio is not the same Antonio that he is today. So, just curious of like how you balance what you want in life, maybe a big want, and how you uh, balance that when things change. Yeah, that that's a. Uh... A really good question because a lot of people come to me all the time and they struggle like, Antonio, I, I don't know what I want. And I don't always believe people. I'm going to answer your question about how to, how to identify what I want. Um, but I, what I dislike these days are those exercises that I used to do. It was like, hey, it's just as important to identify what you don't want as opposed to what yeah. you do want. So people will be in rooms and they will write down all the things they don't want to do. And I'm like, how is that helping you? You know, let, let's start writing down some of the things you do want to do, those things that you want. There's an exercise in the book where I have people write down 25 of those things. Yeah. And the, which people struggle with. I've done that in person. And then from those 25, I have them circle the five that they absolutely love. And then from there, we do an exercise that you're very familiar with, the five whys exercise to get yeah. underneath, to unpack why you truly, truly want those and Typically, you're surprised why you want something. It's not typically the reason you want. Uh, when I was in grad school, Basam, I was fortunate enough to have a, a professor keep it real with me. He held me accountable. I was talking to him about all the different things I wanted to do after I graduated. I mean, there were so many things I wanted to do. And he said something I'll never forget. He said, Antonio, you can do anything you want. Anything you want, but you can't do everything. Now it's like a punch to my stomach, man, because I, I wanted to do everything. But there's something that happens as you get a little bit older when you realize you, there's a lot of things I can do, but I can't do everything. So, yeah, the 21 year old me, there are a lot of things he could do at, at the drop of a, a drop of a hat. Right. Travel internationally, do X, do Y, do Z. This guy now in his early 40s with a wife and a couple of kids, it, it's not the same. Uh, so for me, on a regular basis, I'm getting clear on what my my priorities are, what's most important, and kind of shedding those things that aren't important, and actually questioning those things that are on my list. And I'm like, is this really important? Do I really want to do this? What is the meaning and, and the why behind it? 
uh, the older I get, it's funny that the less I, I want to do that. Yes, yeah. there are trips I want to take. There are things I want to invest in. Uh, but it's more like the simple things bring me joy. Um, I have this book, right, coming out. Of course, I, I want to continue to speak. Uh, I have this big goal right now, Basam. Like this goes back to the whole analogy of how many apps you have open on your computer. A big goal of mine in the future, Basam, is to get a show on television. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I guess uh, maybe television is the wrong way to put it, on a streaming series, <laughs> yeah. but on a streaming web platform. And as much as that's important and I love it, I know right now it's not a priority. Yeah, It's minimized. There are other things that take precedence. Um, and that's for me to know that that's minimized right now and it's in a folder on my hard drive. I know it's there, but that was like an adult decision that I had to make, a very hard one because I wanted to keep working on it, but it was at the expense of other things that were more important. And I think a lot of people don't ask what's most important right now. That may change right. next quarter, right. may change next month, next year, but getting clear on what's most important right now. Yeah, I think that's a great, a great lesson because I think for a lot of people they struggle and they they kick rocks for years to try to find their galactic what do I want what is my reason for being here and you waste years and years and years and I think at times figuring out hey what my quote unquote right now for this year you know what 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 is it that I'm tackling um, yeah also and just briefly one thing I think the power that you and I both have experienced is the power of finishing stuff yeah so what happens is when you leave all these different apps open, you're trying to do everything, nothing gets finished. Project A is 20% complete. Project B is 80% complete. Project C is 62%. But nothing gets done. I've been fortunate, the same way you have, to finish a lot of different stuff. And sometimes I'll finish it and I'm like, I don't want to do that ever <laughs> That's right. again. That's but right. I'm glad I finished it. I mean, if you look at my resume and you'll laugh, if you go to Basam's website and you read about him being an author today and adventure all the things he's done... When you look at the other thing that he's done in his life, it's going to blow you away. But what Bassam has experienced, what I have experienced is the power of completion. Because when you finish it, you can say, I'm going to keep doing it or no, nah, I'm good. I'm going to move forward. That's what I was just going to say. I said, there's a difference between success and completion. Success is oh, this external thing. Like, oh, did they like it? Did they not? Like completion, that's on you, you know, and, and you can control that. Um in thinking about how you clearly were not living on autopilot while writing this book, right? Spawning it, it was a different idea. You had to change it, right? This whole thing was clearly you with your hands on the wheel. Um, how, how have you defined success for yourself with this book? Have you already, quote unquote, reached success because you got a book deal? Are there other things that you're kind of hoping for this book? And how did you kind of come up with that kind of mark? Or is it is it still kind of private for you is kind of how you're defining success because you've completed it. But, you know, just curious of what, what success is for you. You know, two and I, you and I have talked a bit about this offline and I, I'm just going to keep it real. It's still uneasy, Basam. The book hasn't come out yet. And there's a side of me that, you know, you read the newspapers and all that, and you're, you're led to believe that this book is only a success if it somehow reaches a list if it reaches the New York Times list, if it reaches the Wall Street Journal's list, if you can say, you know, this book was num- like your book, it was, it was number one in a category on, on Amazon, right? So you got these external markers of success. Then you can look at the number of book sales, like how many people are going to buy this book. Um, and then even for me, I, at a moment, I'm like, wait a second. And I think about success. Am I thinking about my success or my publisher's success? Because there's a side of me that there's, as I'm like, if this doesn't sell a lot, like I'm, I'm, I'm going to feel guilty. They're going to, 
they're gonna like say, why do we give <laughs> why why do we give this guy a, a did book he cash deal? that check yet? Right. And I'm like, and I'm like, is that, is that success? Um, of course, most books don't find their way to New York Times bestselling list or Wall Street Journal lists, et cetera. Uh, so I'm still, I'm still wrestling with that. I'll say one thing that's pretty cool uh, is one, getting the book deal was success. I feel really, really good about that. Uh, I actually have a physical copy of my book right now that I received. Uh, just, just touching that in a yeah. way is success. It's tangible. It's finished. And uh, to get more personal, you know, in my book, there are two sections that you haven't seen yet, but I think you're going to appreciate is one, the dedication. Man, I have a book that says, you know, for my wife, son and daughter, like at the top. That, that, that's, pretty, that's pretty damn cool. That's yeah. in, a, in a real book. And lastly, if you, when you read the acknowledgments and the people who have played a pivotal role in my life, including you, the fact that I got to publicly thank them in a forum like that, like... I can't. I've been thanked a few times in books, and it feels it feels pretty yeah. good. Uh, but I'm still wrestling Basam, with what does success look like with this book. So you know, for everyone listening out there, sometimes you know, just just want you all to hear that and know, hey, some sometimes that success is messy. What do we want out of it? But Antonio could control the completion of it, and even though kind of what a success, how am I going to feel? What's the what society going to say? That's always separate. Um, my last question, uh, and you kind of just just touched on it. You took the words right out of my mouth. And so everyone at home knows Antonio did not know what I was going to ask him. Um, but I want to talk about your team for a second, your, your support group, because I know it's really important. And I know you are very intentional with the time you spend with people. Um, you and I talk all the time. You have Man Morning Thursdays. I believe it's on on Thursdays. Can you just talk about like, the difference between doing something on your own, you alluded to going to the gym by yourself or doing any, any of these things on our own compared to just having even just an accountability partner or just someone you're kind of sharing it with. How, how has that support group kind of helped you with this book and in life? If there's one thing that I, I lament in life, if there is a regret, Basam, it's how much time I spent trying to do things on my own. Uh, in my experience, no one who has accomplished anything significant did it alone, and neither should we. I've been fortunate that as I've got older, my circle has gotten smaller. Like in my New York City days, bro, I was cool with every damn body. And as you know, it's not possible to be cool with every damn body. I had people that I knew that I hung out with, but my circle has gotten smaller. And I'm fortunate enough that at any time, if I have a need, if I need support, if I need feedback, uh, I need people to keep it real with me. There are people that I can call and they will pick up the phone. And I think that is so special. I mean, truly, you're one of those people, a few others. And I like to always tell people to shut their eyes and just think about the five people they spend the most time with and ask themselves a simple question. Do they make you better? Do the five people you spend the most time with, do they make you better or do they keep you standing still where you are? And I'm fortunate that I have these people in my life that that do make me better. To the point where you know me so well, Basam, that if I, quote unquote, disappear <laughs> for a few days and I don't return a text or a voicemail, you reach out like, yo, I know when you disappear for a few days, son, something's going on. Holler back at your boy. Uh, so my circle, man, has has been such a, a godsend. And I, I have to just add that 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 circle is intentional. It's not like these people are just there for you. Like yeah. they're just like, no, you're, I'm equally there for these folks when they need my support, guidance, encouragement as well. Um, 
but also I've also been funny enough been found that beyond having my intimate circle, these men and women that women that have my have had my back for quite some time, I've been super blessed as well. But some with what I'll call soft connections that you're familiar with, like there are so many people that I don't know a lot that have supported me as well, and I think that's just a byproduct of me being willing to support others over the years, well, and take phone calls, et cetera. They say sometimes the people that support you the most know you the least. Yeah. And I've actually found that to be the case. But to get back to your initial question, I've been fortunate to have so many amazing people in my life that keep it real with me, that pick up my phone calls, will read something and say, yeah, that ain't it, or encourage me as well. Yeah. So for, for everyone listening, I think when we feel sometimes stuck on autopilot or we can't get something done, sometimes it sounds really oxymoronic, but it's not about you. It's about your support group. You're trying to do too much of it on your own. And I know it's, well, how do I find friends? How do I connect? I know that's a much bigger conversation, but little by little finding people you can lean on, people you can help and, and can help you, buttresses you and supports you to then uplift you to do the thing you say you want to do. So don't go at it alone. Um, it's it's a bit scary grabbing the wheel and the stick shift on your own. Having some people in the car with you um, helps out quite a bit. Absolutely. Uh, this conversation, man, has been a lot of fun. I know it's been fun because it, it stretched me when I, I can't always control <laughs> control the narrative <laughs> that's being told, man. I, I appreciate you and these questions that, that you've asked. Oh, I was ha- happy to be here. Happy to do it. I think I- I'm excited for your book. Again, this is this is no PSA, but this is, you know, having seen Antonio have this, seeing this thing more from what it was years ago to what it is today. I'm proud of you. I'm proud to be part of the journey and I'm, I'm so excited uh, for the world to see it. Yeah. Thank you for interviewing me, man. Check out Bassam.com. Best URL in the business. Thanks, Bassam. You got it. Thanks for listening to the Best Thing Podcast with Antonio Neves. Join us next week for more stories that'll help you see the world through a new lens. For more resources, go to theantonioneves.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, we ask that you share with a friend and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.